Christians, we need to understand if we surrender, we sing a song, I surrender all. If you really meant that, God takes you at your word. If you really mean that, all means what? All. All means all. Financial decisions, your money, your spouse, your children. You know that your children, we we always say my kids, and they are. I mean, they're our responsibilities, but the Lord loans them to us and expects us to train them up in the way they should go. I mean, it says it right there. We are His workmanship. Have you told God you can have everything, yet you're still trying to hold a few cards under the table? Still clinging to certain belongings, bank accounts, or backup plans just in case God's way isn't working out for you? It's a common misconception that the more stuff you have, or the larger the number on your bank statement, the more peace you'll have. But as Pastor Mark explains in today's message, those things are fleeting and can disappear in a moment. When you let go of that stuff and fully surrender everything to God, you'll find a deep, eternal peace that surpasses anything this world can provide. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 for today's edition of Come Alive. What you purchase says a lot about you. Buying a house is a spiritual decision, whether you like it or not. I tell people all the time, if you're buying a house, just come for some counsel because you get a couple of people in here. Not that we want to be in your business, but come for counsel. I go to counsel uh, with my friends that are pastors all the time. Like, hey, man, I'm thinking about this. Uh, when, When I thought about having my mom move into our house, I went to four different pastors, and most of them were like, dude, really? I mean, you you sure? And I was like, yeah, you know, she's old, she's sick, and, and we want to help her, and, you know, we, we do. And they're like, man, you know, uh, let us pray about it before you make a decision. I said, okay, cool, and we all prayed about it, and some guys were like, man, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's one way or the other. Take a leap of faith. I took a leap of faith, and it was like, wow, you know, that was, that was rough on my family. It was tough, and it was rough on my mom, and so now she's living back up in Dallas, and, and we, it was, it's better for me to pay her rent than for her to live in my home because she needed more attention than uh, we could, could give her. And so if we don't handle our money with the right heart, and we don't get counsel on those things, I mean, like I said, buying a house is a spiritual decision, not just a financial one. Taking on a job, that's a spiritual decision. I've known guys that have t- taken on jobs without really going for counsel, and, and they get in there and they're just like, dude, it's, it's, it's the worst. I'd rather give up all that extra. Deciding how much money you should make. All these matters that will directly affect your walk with God both now and the future. I've seen people that were completely broke and they were on fire for the Lord. And they get these great jobs and you don't see them anymore. And then you come and you see them a a few years later and they're in financial ruin. Their walk with God has gone downhill. They can't even tell you the last time they've been to a church. And so we, as Christians, we need to understand if we surrender, we sing a song, I surrender all. If you really meant that, God takes you at your word. If you really mean that, all means what? All. All means all. Financial decisions, your money, your spouse, your children. 
You know, that your children, we, we always say my kids, and they are. I mean, they're our responsibilities. But the Lord loans them to us and expects us to train them up in the way they should go. I mean, it says it right there. We are his workmanship. See, if we don't handle our money with the right heart and make the financial decisions with an eye to eternity, we can make mistakes that will affect the work of God in our lives for years and years. Essential to handling our money with the right heart before God is being a giver as well. Being a giver to the work of the Lord helps us always remember that God in his kingdom comes first. The New Testament tells us that our giving should be regular, thoughtful, and proportional, and private. That's what 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 talks about. That it must be generous, freely given, and cheerful. If you're not a cheerful giver, if you don't want to give it, guess what? God doesn't want it. He, he doesn't want it. I tell my kids all the time, hey, I need some help. And they're like, oh, dude, I just, and they complain like, hey, dude, if you can't do this with a good attitude, then I just don't want your help. I, I don't want your help because you're going to make it go easier. I just wanted your help because I wanted fellowship with you. I wanted to hang out with you. I wanted to be with you. Not because a, a nine or a 10 year old or an 11 year old knows how to do a whole lot of stuff. I just wanted the fellowship. I wanted a cheerful person, somebody that was passionate about their dad to just want to hang out. See, money problems are rarely only money problems. You can write that down. Money problems are rarely only money problems. We often think if we just had more money, our money problems would go away. How many of you had problems when you were 25? Raise your hand. Let me see how many of you had problems when you were 25. And now, do you make more money than you did when you were 25? Yeah. And are your problems bigger or smaller than when you were 25? I rest my case. Money problems don't go away because you make more money. They don't. We often think that. It isn't true. And and it's a proven fact. Just by by looking at the lives, all you got to do is look at the guys who win the lottery, right? You look at how many documentaries are there out there on those people. I sit there and I watch and I just scratch my head. And you know what my first thought is? Well, if it was me, it'd be different. No, no. anybody that knows me knows those people are probably smarter than me in every way. It'd be like way worse for me. You know, they come into these unexpected riches and they have money problems. One time, you know, we uh, school of ministry before Jess and I got married. Her boss, she was working for a guy and she was she was a nanny. And he he told her, he goes, you know, I know you guys are going to go out and plant a church and I want to bless you. And she had this little bitty white, I don't even know, it was a Toyota something. It was like the smallest. Dude, this car was so bad. It was like in in between Albuquerque and Santa Fe, there's this big hill. And her car couldn't even barely make, I mean, you would have to stick your foot out almost like a skateboard and just push that thing up there. I mean, there were turtles passing us on the side of the road. And I would be like, Jess, come on. And she's like, you're too fat. And I'm like, I know. You want to get out and walk up the hill? I'll meet you up there. You know, it was like just a bad car. It was real little. And so this guy, he would always laugh that, you know, we had this old 1987 Jeep. And then she had her little car. And it was a good car. But it just couldn't barely make it up. Hardly any car could make it up that hill. But this one couldn't. And it was like trying to roll a snowball uphill. And... um so anyway, he goes, I want to bless you. I want to buy you guys a car. And, and you're like, yes. And, they're gonna, and then all of a sudden you start to realize the, the things that go with that. You're like, man, you know, I've always wanted someone to do that. But it was hard to accept that gift. It was really, really hard. I, I went to my pastor and said, listen, he wants to buy us a car. And I'm having a real tough time with it because, 
man, I, I'm just, I, I don't know. And, and he was like, dude, you know he makes enough money. He was the only guy that ever told me he made enough money. And so I had a tough time with it. I mean, I, I'd talk to him in the hallway, and he would just kind of like, to him it was no big deal. The cost of that car was no big deal. To me it was a huge deal. And my pastor, I went to my pastor for counsel. that We weren't even spending the money. We just had to spend time looking for it. So we thought, okay, we'll do economy. We drive up, nope, get out of here. That's not the car I want to buy you. Ugh. So we started with a Volkswagen Jetta, moved up to a Subaru Outback 4x4. It's New Mexico. And then it was another car that was a 4x4. And he said no to three. And he goes, you know what? Here, let me show you what you can get. And he gave us a list of four cars. And I was just like sitting there, and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no, 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 no. I looked at Jess. I was like, no, no. We're not taking the gift. So I went back to my pastor. I was like, Dude, this is what he wants to buy us. He wants to buy us a Yukon. He wants to buy us an Escalade or a Tahoe or something like that. And we had a friend that owned a car dealership. So we thought, man, maybe he'll give him a deal on the thing, you know. And the guy goes, well, this is as low as I can go. And I was like, man, I don't even make that much money in a year. And so my pastor said, look, dude, that's his gift to you. What if somebody said, hey, they want you to be their pastor, but they wouldn't accept your gift of evangelism or wouldn't accept your gift? I went for counsel for that to make sure I was, gonna, I was making the right move by accepting that gift. And then that was just something given to me. It was an important decision for us. Last Sunday, we finally sold that. We got it. It was a brand new in 2001. We sold that, and it was hard to sell it. My wife was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. That was my baby. She loved that car. The kids loved it. It just sat in our driveway, and they just kind of sit around and hang out in it. Elliot would pretend she was driving it all the time. Thank God the battery was dead, or she probably would have driven it. But it was hard. I remember looking at that, and I was like, man, that was a gift that the Lord had provided and I remembered looking at that thing uh, with all the wrestling that went into it and all the counsel. See, if you think by somebody giving you stuff and somebody gave us that car, we still had money issues. We didn't have a car payment, but we had money issues. I mean, they weren't like devastating, but there were still things where it was always like, man, if I could just make a little more, if I could just make a little more, if I could just do a little more. I was telling somebody this morning, when my landscaping job made this much money, I had this much headaches. When it made this much money, I had this amount of headaches, but it was better than this amount of headaches. More doesn't always mean better. More doesn't always mean more relaxation, more time off, more comfort. It means sometimes more money just means more headaches. So be careful. Be careful with those thoughts. So if they had money problems before, if they didn't know how to handle their money and glorify God with it, guess what? You're not going to know how to do it after you get it. You're not going to know how to glorify God with it. The same problems will soon show up again, and oftentimes they're bigger than ever. Look at verse 6. Nehemiah's immediate reaction is anger. Verse 6 says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Nehemiah became angry because these money problems were caused in part because of the greed of those who wanted to make a profit off of the money troubles of others. Something Moses' law clearly said, when you think about it, you know, when you think about it, Moses' law in Exodus 22, verse 25, if you'll turn there with me real quick, I want you to see this. Moses' law said this was wrong. Exodus chapter 22, it's closer to the front of the Bible. Right after Genesis, Exodus 22, verse 25 says this, If you lend money to any of my people 
who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Hmm. Problem. See, the greed of those who wanted to make a profit off the money troubles of others, Moses' law clearly said you can't do this. So he says, I became, Nehemiah became very angry. Let me ask you this, and this is kind of over-spiritualizing stuff, but let me ask you, do you become very angry when you hear about God's word kind of being just trampled on by others, especially Christians, people who should know better? Does that make you angry? It It should. See, Nehemiah became angry because these money problems led to a lack of unity among God's people. Well, whenever we just allow other Christians to run rampant with whatever, and it goes against God's word, if we don't become angry, and I'm not saying you go and you run around and start a gossip group. I'm saying you get angry at it and you say, hey, you know what? First of all, let me take care of business. Let me go talk to that brother or sister and say, hey, what you're doing is very wrong. And if that doesn't work, then you know what? Matthew 18 tells us, then we take somebody else with us and we talk with them and we confront it. And then if that sin still continues or that problem still arises, then you, you go and you take them before the leadership of the church or you put them outside and you say, hey, this is, this is the way it is. But don't talk about somebody. And, and let me just say this. When people do that and say, hey, let me tell you, I'm really upset about this, whether it's money issues or whatever it may be. I'm really upset about this. I'm really bothered by this because so-and-so did this to so-and-so. You need to stop them. And your first question should be in your mind or maybe even out loud because we talked about this yesterday at a men's conference. What's it have to do with me? Nothing. Then you need to go talk to them about it. Don't come back and talk to me about it until you've talked to them about it. That's how you can quench and quell the gossip. Because if you're that person that sits there and listens to somebody and goes, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, guess what? You're fertilizing gossip. You're just as much of the problem as they are. You may not like that, but I guarantee you 100% of the time you are. Because you're not dealing with it the way it needs to be dealt with. Would you like for someone to say that about you to someone else without even talking to you about it? It goes back to, if I have spinach on my teeth, please tell me that I've got spinach on my teeth. Don't let me sit around making a fool out of myself. I may not know any better. I may not know I've offended you. I may not know this. But here's what happens. When there is a sin inside of the church, it needs to be addressed inside of the church. It doesn't need to be broadcast everywhere. So he says, I became angry. Do you get angry when you hear that there are these problems inside of the church? Because if you don't, just like these money problems will lead to a lack of unity of the people of God. It should bother every true Christian when there's a disunity among believers. It should bother us. When your brothers and sisters are fighting in our household, when my kids are arguing, it bothers me because there's disunity. And so I always tell them, is it okay for you guys to argue? Do you like it when me and mom get into a disagreement? No. Why do you think it's okay for you? Put it in their perspective. See, it should bother every Christian when there's disunity among the Christians. We should be separated from the world, not each other. A lot of times, Christians just be like, well, I don't like what they're doing. Boom. And they, you never see them. They, don't, they quit talking to you. They shun you. They treat you like you're, you've got some kind of disease. That's not right either. That is wrong. See, we cannot look around this sanctuary and separate ourselves from other brothers and sisters in this church. We just can't. That's a disunity. This unity that we have is more precious than money. 
So let me say this, and I've said this before, and and I say this to people all the time when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm thinking about loaning so-and-so some money. I always say, well, you might want to consider just giving it to them. Because if you expect a payback, you know, something might happen in that person's life, and they may not be able to pay you back. So it would just be better if you gave it to them if you can. Now, if you can't, and it's going to put you in a financial burden, then you, you need to be the one to say no. And if you're going to do the loan, then be kind and patient and merciful with them when they don't pay you back exactly on that day or the exact amount, and it might take them longer. But you need to go through. That's why it's always wise to go get counsel from more than one person when it comes to money things and investing and all that stuff. But it says, I heard their outcry in these words. There's no mention made of the work of the walls. Nehemiah got angry because these money problems stopped the work and the Lord's rebuilding. It must have frustrated him that they could stand so strong against an enemy but fall so quickly to each other, to these kind of problems. Just think about it. They stood against an army. They were willing to stand and fight against an army. But guess what took them down? Money, 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 money. I've read a few commentaries that kind of I was amused to see how some struggle over Nehemiah's anger. They say it seems wrong to them. They wrestle with if this was carnal or justified. I find a verse in the Bible that says, Be angry, but do not sin. If it's a righteous anger, it's okay. You can be angry over injustices. There's a righteous and an unrighteous anger. Oftentimes our anger is unrighteous because it was done to us. When people get angry because they didn't go for counsel for something and they start freaking out, I'm like, well, who did you go to counsel for? What Bible verse did you read that you know that God told you through that verse that that's what you were supposed to Well, I didn't. Well, then whose fault is that? What are you mad about? You're mad at yourself? See, we need to be those who are wise with our decisions and not just money decisions, but all decisions, taking them before the Lord. Lord, do you want me to have children? Should we have kids? You know how much kids cost? They cost a lot of money. They're a lot. To, to raise a child to 18 these days, you know, four years ago, it, it cost you almost 250000 just basic needs, $250,000 for one kid to raise them from zero to, or from birth to 18. You know how much it costs now? The price went up, $800,000. Some of you are like, well, dude, maybe, maybe we won't have kids. Invest that money in something great. But kids are, kids are a great blessing. Especially if you can get them to work for you and pay your way when you get, oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that's one of those things, you know. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, do you want us to have kids? Is now the time? Car, a job, a move, whatever it may be. Because if we say we surrender all to the Lord, that means everything, including decisions. Now, I don't think God cares whether you eat at McDonald's or Burger King. But the decisions that are important, and maybe he does care. Maybe there's somebody at Burger King, not at McDonald's, that needs to be saved or vice versa. I have no idea. But it's just one of those things if you just run it all by the Lord and ask him, what do you think, Lord? What do you think? Those are important things because what happens where there is infighting, the work of God is halted. And we need to be sure that we understand that as Christians, that you know what? Inside the church, somebody's going to do something to you that you're not going to agree with 100%. You're not going to like what they did. But before you criticize, Matthew 7, 1 says, you know, judge not lest you be judged. 
Judge, judge yourself before you judge that other person. I had to do this the other day before I counseled someone. I had, to, I had to stand there and say, you know what? This person's not much different than me. That person is a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That person's made his fair share of mistakes. I've made some of those same mistakes. I'm on this end of them. He's just now entering into some of them. And so, Lord, let me be gracious and merciful enough not to look at him as he's some ignorant person because I didn't think I was ignorant when I was making those mistakes. I thought I was doing the right thing. So be careful because it would have been real easy to go to a friend of mine and go, dude, guess what so-and-so's doing? What an idiot. I have a friend, and every time I go to him and complain, try to complain about my wife, and I'm like, hey, I got these problems. You know, I did this, and, and I'm usually pretty truthful with what I've done and how I said it based off of my perception. And my friend says this, you're stupid. Go and ask for forgiveness. Just know you're stupid. You know what? That's the best advice I've ever gotten. I just walk in there and be like, babe, I'm stupid. You know what she says? Yeah, I know. Will you forgive me for my stupidity? Yeah, I forgive you. Will you forgive me for thinking you're stupid? Really? You really think I'm stupid? Well, Mark, who does that? I do. I'll probably do it again. So will you forgive me for the next time too? Because it's going to be really bad next time. It's just it. You know, we are. We, we don't know everything. So you know what? That's why we have each other. To go to them and say, hey, you know, what, do you, what about this? What do you think? I'd appreciate it if you didn't take it to 16 people. But, you know, what do you think about this? I'm, this is what I'm thinking about. Find someone you trust, a godly individual or two or three, and take it to them. Then pray about it. Don't rush into it and look at it from all angles, the good and the bad. And then seek the Lord again, like Nehemiah did, for four months. I'm not saying you have to do it for four months, but spend some time with the Lord and say, hey, because money problems inside the church, oh, they're bad. They'll blow something apart. But inside the home, how many divorces are because of money problems? The two biggest reason people come see my wife and I for marriage counseling, and this is no secret, is based on money, what to do with the money, and how to raise kids. Those are the two biggest ones. All the other ones are just kind of here and there. But those are the top two. So Nehemiah was angry when there was disunity in the church. Hopefully we're passionate enough about God's work that when something happens like that, it makes us angry to do something about it. Let's be those who do something about it and the right thing. Are you aware how valuable you are to the kingdom of God? You are. Whoever you are and whatever you do is exactly as God intended it to be. He decided long before you were born just what talents you would have and what your unique contribution to the kingdom would look like. No one else can do what you do. And no one else can reach others with the joy and hope of the gospel message like you can. It doesn't matter if you work in the ministry or have a secular job. If you're a student or a professional, or if you're still figuring out God's path for you. Today, you can do great things for Him. We're so glad you joined us today for Come Alive, and we hope the message you've just heard was a blessing to you. Before we go, we'd like to share an opportunity for you to be a part of what we're doing here at Come Alive. Here's Tracy with more information. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. 
Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. And thank you for joining us today for Come Alive.